This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good morning, everyone. This is Tulio Siragusa with Dojo Live. It is Thursday, September 24th, 2020. This is the last show of the week. Very excited to have our guests with us. And it's an earlier show. Typically, we're on at 1 p.m. But to accommodate Ron, who's uh, chiming in from Israel, he decided to do it a little earlier. So I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with you, Ron. And welcome also, Carlos, to the show. from Mexico, here we go. So Ron, let's get to know you a little bit. Please introduce yourself. I know you're the CEO of NOAA and we have an interesting topic we're gonna to talk about today. We've been teasing people all week about how to correct uh, eye disorders using watching Netflix. So we can't wait to get into that. But before we do, let's get to yeah. know you a little bit. Please tell us a little bit about you. Sure, so uh, first, thank you Tulio and Carlos for inviting me, happy to be here. So, uh, yeah, my name is Ron. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Novasite. Um, a few things about myself. I'm a mechanical engineer in my education, um, and, but spent my entire career around optical systems. So starting with the defense industry, where I was uh, developing the uh, future control system for the uh, Israeli tank. Then uh, spent some time into uh, optical communication industry, developing uh, an optical switch based on an electroholographical crystal that we grew ourselves, written into it uh, holograms in, uh, with specific lasers. Later on, uh, developing wafer inspection machines for uh, semiconductors industry. And for my uh, last company before establishing Novasite, I was VP R&D of a company called Visionix, which is today uh, a global leading company for eye diagnostics. I actually followed this company for 10 years, starting as a you know, small break-even company. And when I left it 10 years later, it is now a global uh, corpor- corporate uh, selling uh, hundreds of millions of dollars per year and is, is a leading, uh, as I said, leading uh, uh, company in the eye diagnostics. That's it. Well. Welcome to the show. It's exciting to have you. It looks like an amazing career so far. Uh, tell us a little bit about Novasite. What gave birth to this idea? Uh, what are you solving? Tell us a little bit about the company. So the genesis of, uh, of Novasite is, is quite interesting. So the original founder of Novasite, a guy called uh, Danny Oz, that was actually quite retired when he met me, he had a friend that uh, went uh, through a stroke. And you know, when you get a stroke, sometimes uh, half of your muscles of the body are weakened and uh, sometimes uh, semi-paralyzed. And when it affects also the eyes, then if you have the muscles of one eye paralyzed then you get into misalignment because the muscles are not, not working together. And he came up with an idea, by the way, a person, an adult suffering from uh, paralysis in one of the eyes and strabismus, misalignment, is uh, there's no solution for that. So the only way is just to close the eye with a patch. There's no solution. And he came up with an idea of developing a VR headset uh, and combined with eye trackers. And with this combination, you're uh, able to show the, uh, the image that the eye would have seen if it was looking straight. So you take a picture of the scenery and you place it 
uh, in front of the deviating eye according to the uh, gaze position you get from the eye tracker. So he came with this idea and actually he came to me looking for money. I was uh, back then the VP of, uh, of R&D for VisionX. Uh, but uh, when I looked into his uh, idea and then we had another third uh, person, Professor Belkin, who's a well-known ophthalmologist in Israel. And we, the three of us sat and said, wow, if we just take this idea of placing eye trackers and following the position and gaze direction of the eyes, we could do so many stuff, much more than just helping people with you know, strabismus after a stroke. And this is the, the, the point of time that we decided to, uh, to establish Novosite, to give uh, solutions for diagnostics, for treatment, for children, for adults. So, so many applications, uh, all that using eye tracking. Wow, that's amazing. I love that story. Uh, and, and we're looking forward to learning more. So, Carlos, let's get right into it. What's the topic of conversation for today? You're on mute. <laughs> I, I told you. I told you it was going to be. That, that's my trademark. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So thank you, Tulio. Yeah. Today's topic is uh, using Netflix and Disney to cure vision disorders. And in other words, uh, we're going to be talking about eye tracking and image processing for home treatment of the lazy eye. So uh, in its own right, the, the title using Netflix and Disney to cure vision disorders is, is intriguing enough to ask uh, Ran, our guest, why he chose this particular topic. So I would like to start by by this. Why did you choose this particular topic for today's conversation, Ran? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, well, I think it's a cool topic, isn't it? I mean, uh, thinking about, you know, content that we like, and when I say Disney and Netflix, it doesn't have to be Disney and Netflix. It could be anything. So it's just an example. So. We're taking content that everybody likes, and it could be a specific content, you know, according to the, uh, you know, whatever is favorite to the specific kid or adult, and use that in order to treat vision. So today we're thinking about treatment as something which is uh, unpleasant, either drugs or drops or exercise. But in this case, we're using the, the things that kids love, and we use it for treatment. So I thought this, this is a cool topic. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ron. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I first looked at that, it's like that's every parent's nightmare. It's like uh, whoever's got exactly. some uh, a lazy eyes, like I can care about watching TV. Uh, so tell us a little bit m more. You mentioned uh, a virtual reality goggle, and then it repositions the image so it has sensors, I'm assuming, and it tracks the eye movement. Tell us a bit how it works. How is it applied, the use case for it? Right. So actually, we don't use VR. This was the, uh, as I said, in the genesis of the company. But today, we're not using VR. Actually, if you think about VR and small children and the amount of time that you need to spend during treatment, it's not really uh, efficient. So maybe before I start talking about the solution, maybe I'll, I'll explain a little bit about the problem. What is lazy eye? I think people don't really understand what lazy eye is. So lazy eye is a condition in which the brain is not really communicating well with one of the eyes. So actually the brain is suppressing vision in one of the eyes and the underlying cause for lazy eye are usually one of the two. Either there's a misalignment, so each of the eyes is looking on a different direction and the brain is getting two different images which it cannot combine. This is one of the cases the brain would suppress one of the eyes. And the other case is when each of the eyes needs a different refraction, need correction, different optical correction. Again, 
different images, suppression. Now, first you need to take care of the underlying problem, so either glasses or operation to cure the strabismus, and then later on you need to treat the brain to start working with the eye to stimulate the brain. You do that today with a patch. So you put a patch over the good eye in order to force the brain to start working with the weak eye. It's not hard to understand that this solution is really bad. Kids hate the patch, they don't see well, you cover the, the good eye, right? You're, you're uh, letting the other eye work. So you're covering the good eye. They don't see well, they don't look well. They look like pirates. So most of the kids just remove the patch and, and, and the treatment fails. So this is the, the problem that we are trying to solve. Is, is it, does it make any sense for you what the problem is? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it absolutely. sounds like a pretty complex, it's a pretty amazing thing how the brain works like this computer. It's like if I get two images, I discard one and only use one and override. It's uh, it's pretty yeah. amazing. So, okay, so now that's the um, problem, how it manifests itself, right? So how does the technology correct that problem? Exactly. So you correctly said, actually, the, the way that the brain is preferring one of the eyes is a protection mechanism. The brain it protects itself by, by just suppressing one of the eyes in order not to get a conflict. So how do we do that? How do we uh, let the kid be trained without closing his eyes? So we're doing the following. First of all, so the device, maybe I'll explain a little bit about the device. The device is a, is a, is a customized computer that has an integrated eye tracker inside it. The eye tracker is a, is a sensor. It's a, it's, a, it's a sensor that composes from camera and illuminator, all are working in infrared, not in a visible range, but in infrared. So the eye tracker is able to uh, follow the position. So we know where the, eyes are, uh, where, where the eyes are, but we also know where they are looking at. So it knows we actually uh, find the gaze direction of the eyes 90 times per second. So all the time we know exactly where the eyes are looking at. Now, the, the, the first thing that we do is that we take any content, this could be anything, as I said, Disney, Netflix, Facebook, it doesn't really matter. And the first thing that we do is that we separate it to the two eyes. So the kid is actually wearing simple red-blue glasses, like the ones that you used to wear for 3D cinema many years ago. And he's looking at the content. The first thing that we do is that we separate by a conversion of colors, we separate the two images to the two eyes. So it, oh, each, each, eye, each eye is uh, looking at its own content. The next thing that we do, and this is really amazing, we blur only the center of vision of the strong eye. So the strong eye, wherever it's looking at, because we know exactly where it's looking at all the time, we always blur the center of vision. Now, the center of vision is the most important part of vision. This is where we have the, you know, the, uh, um, the resolution, the high resolution. And we blur only the center of vision. So uh, now we are ha having two images. It's not like with patching one eye is closed. In this case, we're training two eyes together. So the two eyes are getting an image which is more or less balanced because the good eye is getting an image which is distorted, which is blurred at the center of vision, and the weak eye is getting a sharp image. Now, and this, and, and this is how we, first, we influence the brain. We stimulate the brain to start working with a weak eye on one hand, and on the other hand, we stimulate the brain to start working with the two eyes together. And this is how we uh, actually build 3D perception. You never get that with patching, by the way, because it's a monocular treatment, so only one eye is working. You never get depth perception regained. And this way, we both we get excellent treatment, you know, fun and, and with high compliance, 
and also much better treatment because we train the two eyes together. That's amazing. So, so it's a piece of equipment like a pair of glasses that someone wears. Is there uh, an effectiveness that's more appropriate for depending on the age of the user? Like, is it more effective when you catch it early? What about in circumstances like someone had a stroke and developed lazy eye? Is there a limitation in terms of when it would be appropriate to use this technology or it applies at any given time? Can you give us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's, it's in place. So we know that plasticity of the brain is reduced with age. So the sooner that you get it, it's easier to treat. Um, I would say that 10 years ago, if you've asked any ophthalmologist, they would say you never can treat lazy eye beyond the age of seven. Today, we know it's treatable beyond the age of seven and even at an older age, it's always treatable, but it is harder. So uh, the sooner that you find it, it's easier to treat. Uh, I can tell you that we ran a pilot study in Israel last year uh, over a group of 20 kids, and their ages were between the age of 5 to 16. And we got excellent results, not only with the younger kids, but also with the teenagers. So this was really encouraging. Uh, we treated them for six months, and then we followed them up for additional six months to see if after we finish treatment and we stop treating, do we, are the results, is the improvement robust? And we found, yes, it is robust, uh, so it stays. Uh, now, these days, just a month ago, we started a pivotal study, which means it's a large study, randomized study, that will serve for the FDA clearance. Um, it's going to include anything between 90 to 180 kids in six different uh, medical centers. And with the, the results, hopefully they will be successful. The results, uh, we expect them in Q2 of next year, we, could, we are going to apply for FDA clearance. That's great. I was going to ask about uh, what that process is like. And is it different in uh, different parts of the world? Are you, is it more strict to get that in the marketplace in the U.S. because of the FDA and less in other parts of the world? What's the process for you guys? Are you focusing on one market first? Or is this more of a global initiative? Uh, can you give us a little bit what that experience has been like so far? Yeah. So first of all, the U.S. is a very important market for us. Uh, so FDA is, is really at the center of the, regula of, of the regulatory pathway. But other markets are, not, are also important. Uh, I can tell you that it's today. Uh, today, it's much easier to get an approval for a medical device, generally speaking. It's much easier to get an approval for a medical device in, the, in Europe than in the US, but it's gonna change. So uh, next year, um, actually it's gonna flip. So uh, Europe is really making things harder for a medical devices manufacturer. And uh, actually we expect that the uh, Euro European regulation is going to be uh, starting next year, much more difficult than the FDA. And the FDA is actually going through the opposite direction and they're actually lowering the bar in order to get, you know, innovation faster into the U.S. So uh, this is really interesting, uh, the way regulation is changing across the globe. I can also tell you that China is a very important market for us because in general, uh, eye problems in China are very, very uh, prevalent. And also children in China get a lot of, of attention. So it's also a very important market for us. Great. Um... 
Okay, so you're in the process of doing uh, clinical trials to get FDA approvals. Uh, what's the distribution going to be like? Is this something that you can buy over the counter or you have to go through a practitioner? What's your strategy for getting this into consumers' hands? Yeah, also a great question. Um, the way that we think about it, first of all, it's a medical device and it is a medical treatment. It's not something that you can do without the supervision of a doctor. So uh, the way that we are thinking about it is that doctors that would work with us, uh, I, I didn't mention that the entire thing is working through the cloud. So uh, it's, it's really, uh, it has a very nice cloud interface and all the compliance data, progress data, everything is logged into the cloud and the physician have, has a direct access to the uh, data in the cloud. And, um, and he can control the, also the treatment. Uh, he can monitor the treatment that is done at the, at the home of the patient remotely. And of course, you know, in this area, this era of, uh, of COVID, this is also very important that the doctor can remotely treat his patients. Now, uh, the way that it would work is that any doctor that would like to work with us would have one device at his clinic that he can make demos for the uh, families, for the uh, patients. And then um, once a patient or a family would like to get into the, the program, training program, he would just log in the information of the, of the family into our cloud interface. We get that in our logistics, logistics center and we would send the device directly to the home. So it would be shipped directly to the home and the uh, revenue model would be uh, based on uh, monthly licensing. So every month of training, uh, we will charge the doctor and the doctor will charge, charge his patients. So this is the way that we're thinking about, and all of that is before reimbursement. Once we get reimbursement, uh, of course, there would be coverage, and the insurance companies would cover the treatment. Wonderful. We have two audience questions, um, similar but to different. The first one is, uh, how are you using, for example, AI and machine learning in order to apply the data and the learnings to develop your product. Are you using any of those scenarios uh, today? That's one of the questions that came up from the audience. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I didn't mention so far that this is only one of the products that we have. We have two of them. So the second product is a vision assessment device, which is already commercial. It's being sold by a huge company called Essilor. It's a French uh, company, but it's actually the largest today. It's called Essilor Luxotica since they were merged with the Italian Luxotica and they're uh, the largest uh, ophthalmic lens manufacturer in the world, and they are now distributing our uh, vision assessment device. For both devices, we are going, we haven't started yet, but now we are starting to collect data. And this data would be used for many, many things. Uh, of course, to enhance the treatment, to, to find better algorithms for the treatment, but also to, uh, this is more for the uh, vision assessment device, we could use that in order to look for patterns. You know that every uh, neurological defect, everything that is connected to brain health is also affecting the eye movement. So think about Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, dyslexia, ADHD, all of these and, and many others are uh, manifesting in abnormal eye movements. And since we are collecting eye movements, we can use them for uh, diagnostics, for uh, treatment, for monitoring, and all that requires a lot of AI. So we are now starting to use AI. It will enhance more and more in the future. That's great. Uh, the other question, uh, Ron, was how has AI helped improve specific needs of children? And I want to put a little spin on that question because you you just mentioned something really interesting about 
other conditions that are contributing to eye problems. And I'm curious, uh, the kind of data and insights you're learning, could that be shared to potentially provide further details for other problems that exist and leverage that technology, AI, to permutate and to figure out potentially uh, treatments for other things? Are you seeing any correlation or collaboration in using those technologies amongst the healthcare industry to try to systematically find ways to improve the lives? In this case, uh, the question was of children. Yeah, so yeah, you're per perfectly right. Eye tracking uh, is, a, is a platform, right? It's a, you, have, you have a sensor and you collect data. And this data is, uh, is very profound. As I said, it's, it's connected to the brain and everything, almost any, as I said, any brain deficit is, is manifested in eye movements. And we are building the company as a digital platform. So today we're very focused on pediatric ophthalmology, starting with vision assessment and lazy eye treatment, and we are developing. So treatment is going next, the same device, same technology is going to treat also a problem called convergence insufficiency. So, you know, when you're looking up close, either for you know, using your cell phone, reading a book, using your computer, there are two things that are happening in your eyes. One thing is that you accommodate, you change your focus of the eye, and the other thing is that you have to converge your eyes. When you're looking uh, near a target, your eyes are converging. There are many people actually, children and adults, that are having problems in convergence. Uh, in our vision assessment device, we find this very, very easily. And the next in the treatment device is to, to also treat that. How would we would we treat that? Again, any content, and I see someone is asking me about the content, why only Netflix, why only the Disney? Again, these are just examples. It is any content. So any content could be sports, could be you know religious contents, could be even uh, when you're using uh, Zoom or, or video streaming to, to learn. I mean, any content. So any streamed content could be used, and in this case, not only for lazy eye, but also to treat your convergence problem, but exactly with the same principle. Yeah, it's great. The device is independent of platform. I, I certainly, uh, I love the hook of the Netflix and Disney. Uh, thanks for clarifying that for us. Um, let's shift a little bit about uh, the, the, the culture in your company that, that you're building. You're obviously doing something good for the world. I mean, it's, it's interesting. I just learned from you this idea that once you have a problem that's triggered by, for example, a stroke, and you develop a, an eye problem, there's really no solution for it. You're pretty much stuck with that for the rest of your life, and you, you know, you're going to deal with that unless you're leveraging this kind of technology, which is providing a disruption to what normally couldn't be uh, treated. So you're doing something great for for humanity, for the world. Tell us a little bit about the culture. How do you get really great talented people to come work for you to build this out? Yeah, <laughs> interesting question. Uh, uh, you know, uh, maybe I'm not the person to say, but we have a great culture in the company. So also very, very relaxed. People really love to be here. Uh, you can you know, go around uh, during the day and see people walking around barefoot, you know, no, no shoes, no socks, just walking around. Thinking about ideas, yeah. So, so the at the atmosphere is really great. Uh, the, the the team is is mainly divided into two different teams. So there's there would be the team of the treatment, and there would be the team of the vision assessment. 
uh, we're very strong in, uh, in science and engineering, as you might ex expect. So we have, uh, we have electronical uh, engineers. We have, of course, software engineers. We have physicists and we have uh, doctors and we have many, many people here on the team. And I, I, I would say the atmosphere is great. As we are quite fortunate, you know, um, thinking, looking around, especially in Israel for the last uh, month, uh, things are going very, very bad in terms of COVID. Uh, and we are quite fortunate in this respect. The company just raised a nice uh, round just two months ago, and we are, you know, we're trying to help. So we are, um, we, uh, we make a nice donation to people that are suffering from COVID uh, these days in Israel. And I think uh, um, this, this contributes to the uh, good atmosphere that we have here in the company. Uh, yeah, I, I have a, I got a question for Ron uh, Tulio. Sure. I'd like to step in. <clears throat> Ren, um, well, you, you, you mentioned that you have a very relaxed culture. We relate to that because that's sort of the culture in which we are immersed ourselves. And uh, well, being, because you're a technology company, uh, well, there is a cliche that goes around in the tech world that says something like, uh, uh, "I'm I'm going to hire people not to tell them what they what to do, but so that they can tell me what to do." Right? So it's like right. in that sense, yeah. In that sense, it's like um, uh, it's about trusting others. So in that is for uh, for you as the company's leader and for Novasight. Uh, this aspect of hand-holding others, hand-holding the people that work with you, uh, as opposed to just letting them them do the thing so that they can be the best that they can. Uh, how would you say that this approach to culture um, modifies or even enhances the company as a whole? Yeah, so... What sort of impact does it yeah, yeah, you were a little bit breaking up, but I think I got the picture. Um, I, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm a strong believer. Yeah. No, no, that's fine. I, I'm, I'm a strong believer of, uh, you know, of a very uh, loose management. This is my, uh, you know, my managerial uh, approach. So I'm trying to to dictate as as less as possible, and let people come up with their ideas push their ideas, even struggle with others. You know, uh, my idea is better, let me pursue this one. So um, the, the uh, atmosphere in the company is, is totally unformal. So in closing, in discussions, that I would say this is the general atmosphere here in Israel. We usually try, we usually tend to be informal, but especially here in the company, um, there is no ranks there. Everybody could step in into my office all the time. It's, it's just the way that we work. It's like and what I you call a flat organization, like sorry? flat organization. It's it's yeah. what do you call it flat organization. Oh, okay. Yeah, there are. Don't get me wrong. There are you know there are uh, there are positions, there are responsibilities. Mm -hmm. It's not that like everybody's doing whatever they want, but right. there's a lot of a lot of room for uh, creativity, a lot of room for you know coming with your own agenda and your own ideas and pushing them. So, and I'm a strong believer in this approach. I think that once a person get a lot of responsibility and a lot of room for his own ideas, everybody's benefited from that, the person and the company. So uh, I think this is, at least for us, it works well. Okay, what's, what's next for Novasight? What, I'm sorry, Tulio, go ahead. 
Yeah, before we answer that question, I just wanted to quickly uh, ask Ron. We have a couple of uh, audience questions, but I'm going to try to fold them into one because we're running out of time. So, um, you know, when you're doing something new, something disruptive, something that hasn't been done before, especially when you're facing trying to solve a problem that historically has been written off as like you can't do anything about this, right? right. Uh, you face challenges. You face a lot of disbelief and how have you guys overcome some of that? How have you pushed through to get investors on board on something that's basically never been done before, right? Um, what's that been like, that journey for you guys? And, and um, can you share a little bit of how you've overcome that? Yeah, so um, you're right. There's always pushback when you're coming with something new. And you always get these conservative people saying, you can do that or it wouldn't work or um, the market is not large enough or whatever. You, you always get that. Uh, you have to believe in yourself and you know, close your eyes and close your ears when everybody's saying it can be done. And uh, I think it really helps when you have a very committed team. So if the team is committed and everybody's working uh, you know, with joint effort, I think that helps a lot. And we're quite fortunate that we have also a VC fund. Uh, actually, they're, they're based in China, but they're very uh, focused on ophthalmology and they believed us from believed in us from day one and helped us uh, also financially. And I would say uh, also in the last round, uh, we got a vote of confidence from huge companies. Okay, very, very large companies. I can tell you that coming from device side, but also from pharmaceutical side, I'm not sure if you know, but today there's a huge trend of pharma companies to go digital. And uh, so all those uh, big farmers, they're looking for ways to go to digital therapeutics and digital uh, health in general. And I think uh, our story is appealing to them. And uh, I can tell you that we have one large pharmaceutical company uh, joining the company uh, with a large uh, investment. And today they're also sitting in our board. And um, so it always, it always is a struggle, but if you believe in yourself and if you can come up always with, you know, a demonstration of how it works, come up with a prototype, come up with the, uh, you know, proof of concept and try always to improve that. Uh, so you're able to prove what you say, uh, not only say that. So I think we were able to do that over time. Thanks for sharing that with us. Carlos, I think you had one final question as we wrap up. No, well, yeah, truly. I would just, uh, I wanted to ask Fran about, you know, final words of wisdom. What's next? I mean, what's next short term? Especially, uh, we're all going through, through uh, a number of changes that it's not really necessary to elaborate on them uh, worldwide. But what, what's next after we come all of this or what's in store for Novasite short term, midterm, long term? Yeah, so... Um... Short term, we are very, very focused on the clinical study that we are now running for the lazy eye treatment. This is a you know critical point for the company to prove the efficacy and safety of this uh, device uh, in a clinical study. So this is a and, and it's 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 really hard now today because of COVID, mm -hmm. trying to enroll patients and, and and get them to be tested every month. Uh, this is now becoming really really tough, especially in Israel. But we are very focused on that. And I hope that uh, everything would work well. So this is in the short term. A longer term, we have a few uh, devices uh, in the pipeline. I can maybe share one of them, which is really fascinating. Um, myopia or short-sightedness. Sure. 
is maybe the um, you know the most uh, uh, prevalent disease in the world. So today, 28% of the of the world population is suffering from myopia. In China, you get 80% of teenagers suffering from myopia, and some of them are suffering from high myopia, meaning uh, more than mi minus five diopters, which can lead to uh, problems like retinal detachment and even blindness. So. And this is now uh, becoming an epidemic and is increasing all the time. And this is because of the use of screens. So today, children are not playing outside, but they are usually indoors and looking at screens. And all that is uh, contributing to the, the high rate of myopia, which is estimated to cover more than half of the world population by 2050. And there are many ways how to try and, and, and control myopia with drugs, with uh, specific uh, contact lenses, specific glasses. And we come up with the uh, concept of using uh, very sophisticated active glasses, active lenses, that allows us to uh, change the property of refraction to the eyes and to control myopia. According to the momentary gaze position, we have an embedded eye tracker in the glasses Mm -hmm. and electrical lenses, electrical lenses that can digitally change the way that light is hitting the retina. And with this combination, it's currently only on feasibility stage and IP stage, we're thinking that we can cure or at least uh, uh, control myopia uh, with uh, something that is not intrusive at all. So you're looking, the kid, it's usually a kid, uh, you know, he's, he's viewing the world without any intrusion because everything is always moving according to his vision, mm -hmm. but, but it would help them to, to either cure or to slow down the myopic process. Well, Ron, it's been a pleasure to have you. Too. Sorry? Go ahead, sorry. No, I, I was just saying, no, I was just gonna say that as a, as a minus five on each eye, I really look forward to that technology. <laughs> it's like- Yeah, I mean, very, I was gonna say, minus, that's, we minus have to five, minus we have to definitely stay in touch to see how that progresses along. It's been a pleasure to have you. We're, we're over time yeah. already. Thanks for being with us, Ron. I know it's quite late there. Uh, just stay with us as we wrap up. That's a wrap for the week. Uh, we had three amazing shows. Don't forget to join us on Monday where we do a recap. We recap all the shows inside 10 minutes. That's it at 1 p.m. Pacific. If you'd like to participate, whoever's watching, on the recap show and be one of the uh, video screens here, please just post a comment wherever you're watching us. We will connect with you and get you to participate. We'd love to have guest participants on the recap show. And uh, speaking of um, next week, Carlos, what do we got coming up? Sure, Tulio, thank you. Yeah, we got a full week ahead, Tulio, fortunately. Tuesday, we got Rishi Khanna, the CEO of Eno8. And the topic is the importance of digital innovation amidst the changing COVID landscape. That's on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, we have uh, uh, Nishant Sungavi and Alex Corniglio, CEO and CTO, respectively, of Energy Solutions. And we're going to be speaking about how data science is opening new doors in energy efficiency. And finally, on Thursday, we'll be speaking with Michael Gasiorek. I hope I pronounced it right, Gasiorek. And the truth cartel, and uh, the, the topic is accelerating your authority, four steps to winning over your industry. So those are the topics for next week, Tulio. And uh, the only thing left for me to do is thank our guests big time for having been with us today. Until thank next time. Guys.
Thanks so much. Till next time. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.